Michael Watson, joined by Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. They are the left of the left, the Democratic Socialists of America, a socialist political faction influential in the Democratic Party. Who are they? What do they stand for? And where do they want to take American politics? Those are the questions that our colleague Robert Stilson set out to answer in Capital Research Center's latest magazine serial, The Left of the Left, the Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, Robert, welcome back. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. So let's orient the listeners before we begin. What What is the Democratic Socialists of America, the DSA? Yeah, they're not a political party. You can think of them as like a political faction slash activist organization. You know, they're organized as a, as a 501c4 nonprofit. So the same category of nonprofit that like a National Rifle Association or the ACLU or Social Welfare Organization is what they're called. They go back decades. They were founded in 1982. Um, through a merger of some pre-existing groups, you know, one of which sort of had its roots in Students for a Democratic Society, which is the New Left movement of the 1960s. So, you know, there was a you know SDS Students for a Democratic Society imploded in 1969, and a faction kind of broke off for a few years, and then they merged with a separate faction that was sort of more rooted in the Socialist Party of America of you know early 20th century. Uh, centered around a man named Michael Harrington, who was probably the most influential socialist of the second half of the 20th century. So that was the Democratic Socialist Organizing Committee. And in 1982, those two groups came together and formed the Democratic Socialists of America. Um, And it has been certainly the most prominent and most consistent uh, political organization on, on the far left of the American ideological spectrum since that time, I would say. And, you know, like, unlike some further left institutions, it's actually had like members of Congress and, you know, people who would attain office and influence. Yeah, I think that's one of the distinguishing factors. And and, and that gets back to Harrington. This was sort of Harrington's idea, right? When he when he was influential in forming the DSA, you know, he want, he viewed it as wanting to be the, the left block within what was possible with the Democratic Party. You know, he didn't envision taking it off in some direction of like a new socialist party. It was a very reform-minded socialism. And because of that, they have always been able to attract members of Congress, like you mentioned, mainstream political figures as members. It's always been recognized as sort of the left wing of the of even the Democratic Party. But uh, up until at least maybe the last few years, it wasn't considered um, extremist or or radical left type. Um, although um, that has shifted in, in, over the last few years. Sarah, anything that you want to ask about the history? Yeah, you know, I have, was just hi, Robert. It's it's good to talk to you. Um, I have just been listening to some podcasts where they're talking about kind of how the right. Uh, dealt with people like, and these aren't, I don't think, I don't think Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers were avowed DSA members, but they certainly were associated with some of these people, right? Like they had sort of similar, uh, maybe you can correct me. They, they came out, they came out of SDS into the weather. Okay, great. So I've just been listening to some podcasts where they were talking about how the right in this country kind of mocked the fact that uh, Ayers and Dorn went into academia, 
and when I say mocked, I mean like we didn't take it very seriously, right? Like, oh, whatever. They became, you know, kind of laughed about it. Well, now we look at what's happening in academia, and I know we're going to talk about the the um, DSA and its kind of support for the the um, pro Palestinian marches that have been on campus. Um, but it looks to me like we should have taken it more seriously because you mentioned this guy Harrington. It's moved so far away from that, right? Like it, it's not now this thing that's just kind of a faction. It's become a, a more um, a bigger part of of our cultural existence, right? The 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 radical left turn of the DSA. So. Is there a lesson here that we shouldn't be kind of um, when these kinds of things happen, we shouldn't take it. Not We should take it seriously. Yeah, I think there's parallels to be drawn with SDS. I mean, not only is that where the DSA had at least mm-hmm. part of its roots, I wouldn't say that's where most of it came out of, but, but it certainly had part of its roots in, in the new left and the new left. Uh, so many new left young folks, you know, students, joined students for a democratic society, ballooned the organization and it, it grew so fast that it imploded in 1969. And I, you mentioned before, if, before we leave SDS, you know, you mentioned that Harrington had a, in, in your piece, you mentioned that Harrington had a, a fraught relationship with the SDS faction. Yeah. So the, SDS's founding manifesto, the Port Huron Statement, you know, Michael or um, Tom Hayden is generally credited with having written that. And at the Port Huron Conference, where they you know went through that and adopted it and everything, sort of SDS's founding convention, you know, Harrington was present. And it's kind of it's interesting because SDS grew out of a, a, a group I think it was called the League for Industrial Democracy that Harrington also had a like he had a, like a leadership position there too. So he was at the conference and. Um, you know, famously, I guess, in, in leftist lore, you know, argued with Tom Hayden over the Port Huron statement, said it should have been more anti-communist because Harrington was a was a, a, a vowed anti-communist. Kind of like kind of like UAW leader Walter Ruther, like Ruther, like Harrington, it sounds like was an ardent social Democrat, wanted the U.S. to look more like Scandinavia, uh, but was also opposed to the communist regimes of Eastern Europe. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out before we leave the history that the DSA was was widely recognized for its anti-communism too in the in the 1980s, you know, up through the 90s. You know, this was not like some groups on the left that were maybe sympathetic towards or at least indulged a sort of equivalent equivalency towards communist regimes. This was not the DSA. They were they were um, thoroughly democratic in their political outlook, at least during you know, Harrington died in 1989. So at least up to the, through that point, at least I think. I think I read too. that Harrington said something, and this is kind of what I'm trying to get at. I, you know, he looked at a democratic social. He said Marx was a democratic socialist with a small d which kind of made me laugh because of how people talk about libertarian with a small L versus libertarian party members with the large L, same with communism. Um, And that's what I'm trying to get at when I say, okay, so we kind of laugh and say, okay, they're just a faction, but look what's happened. They did take a a very left turn. Right. And I know we're going to talk about a little bit about that. And in, and historically that wasn't the way Harrington wanted to go. Yeah. Let's, let's move. So, it's 1989, or it's the late 1980s. Harrington is uh, either about to leave the scene or has left the scene. Uh, how does the DSA evolve uh, 
as the Cold War is coming to an end, as the trade union movement is moving to the to towards it, uh, and as the the new left is beginning to to really rise. Yeah, I think in in the abbreviated history of the DSA, you can kind of skip from Harrington's death in 1989 up up to about 2014. I mean, the the, the group kind of you know they, there's a few thousand members, you know, kind of stagnates. I think they have like 10,000 members at the beginning of the 90s, and it goes through. Maybe they've got like 6,000, 6,500 in the mid 2010s. So if we move up to that, there, there's a point. I think the inflection point in the DSA's history for our purposes is, is late 2014, when they make the decision to to go in behind what was then the looming uh, Bernie Sanders campaign for, for president in 2016. I think he announced it a few months later. But in 2014, they make the decision. They go all in behind Sanders. And, San- and we, should, we should mention, Sanders is not a member of the DSA. You know, he's, he, in fact, he disagrees with them on certain points too. But the DSA views him as you know, close enough, I guess you would say. The, the closest that in 2014 Baptist. that they could get to one of their, one of their guys... Uh, leading a national ticket. Exactly. And so, so, so what happens? Sanders' campaign is way more successful than anybody thought it would be. It has this whole Bernie movement around it. And what happens? People see he de- self-identifies as a, a democratic socialist, and they Google democratic socialism, and what do they come up with? They come up with the DSA's website. And so, you know, it, it grows pretty steadily, the organization, up to, to the 2016 election, and then President Trump's elected. And that's, you know, the second big, it's like a one-two punch, I think I've seen it called, where Sanders campaign, Trump's elected, boom, 1,000 people join the next day. Um, growth is rapid through 2017. I think by, I think by like mid-2017, they have 20-something thousand members, and that continues. And then what do you have in 2018? You have um, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez primaries a Democratic representative in New York, and she's a member of the DSA, unlike Bernie still, Sanders. Is she I, still I think a I member? Saw, she hasn't disavowed. She is, but by, by all indications that I've seen as of today, she's still a member. I think there, I think there are four four members of Congress still in the D, who are members of the DSA. But um, she, uh, her election sort of galvanizes uh, the Democratic Socialists of America movement, I guess you would say, and the, and. Um, they they peak at like 90 something thousand members. I think it was like 2021 in that range. I think they've lost members since then. But this is so if you think about it, um, I think the most recent uh, membership statistic I saw was from their convention this year, 2023. And that would be 78,000 members. So if you figure they had less than 7,000 in 2014 before supporting Bernie, that's tenfold growth in a decade, which is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and I, it is remarkable and it, it coincides with, and I keep harping on it because I'm, I keep getting back to this idea that we've got to learn from this stuff. It coincides with this hard left turn. Now, my question then is, was this hard left turn, oh, like were, were they promoting it? Was it a little bit behind the scenes? Did people know what they were getting into? Because it clearly is, and I know you're going to talk about this because you do in your piece, um, just how left they've gone, just how hard. How, yeah. How, and, and how does the DSA work as a, as an institution? Yeah, it's, we talked a little bit about its nonprofit structure. It's got chapters. It's got like 200 chapters and organizing committees nationwide. So that's sort of the, 
the um, rank and file are members of local chapters and the big chapters are in the cities. Like you would expect the biggest one is, is New York city. It's the most influential, but nationally speaking, there's a, there's the DSA is governed by what's called the national political committee, which is 16, 16 members elected every two years by delegates. And they sort of set the, there's like a board of directors you can think of for the organization, but getting back to the, um, the radical turn that Sarah was talking about. I think that's really, all of these things are interconnected and we've seen this. This has all happened since like 2016, 2017. At the same time, all of these new members were joining. The organization was making a a hard left turn towards away from like the Harrington style socialism, as I gather it to be, to stuff that is out, would be the left of the left of the left. You know, we're talking like, honest to yeah. God, communists having, having real political influence within the organization. And, and that's a term that gets thrown around sometimes when it's not warranted, almost as like a, a slur on somebody you call them a communist. There, there's a, are, there there like, is a Marxist unity caucus is my understanding. And they're yeah, fairly influential. Exactly. And yeah. We were laughing yeah, about we it earlier about-, about some of what Robert's found in their sort of, you know, documents, you know, the collective farming, we were laughing about it earlier. It is absolutely cut and dried communism. We should talk about these caucuses because I, I found that fascinating. So the, uh, the DSA that we talked about the National Political Committee and internal DSA politics are are governed by these things called caucuses, which are like ideological groupings within within it, the organization. And so virtually all members of the National Political Committee are elected from one of these caucuses. So you see, you can kind of get a breakdown of where the organization's active members are ideologically by looking at who they elect from these caucuses. So I went through and, you know, they'll tell you exactly what they believe. And by my conservative estimation of the the 16 members of the National Political Committee, at least five are like avowedly revolutionary Marxists slash communists. And then um, like a, a, you know, several others up to a majority of like nine would be, would be Marxists. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, so it's really remarkable how that's shifted from, from the socialists. So what does that mean for the national? Like, what does that mean? Like, so, so you've mentioned that we have in that the Democrat party actually has people that are members of the democratic socialists of America, um, that are serving in, in positions of leadership in the Democrat party. So what does that mean that they've taken this hard left? What does that mean for our electoral politics? What does that mean for our culture? What does that mean? Well, I think it's reflective of, of the membership that's joined. It's, it's interesting, like, because the Democratic Party has to reckon with this, right? Like, they, the establishment Democrats are not fans of the DSA, and the DSA is not at all fans with the, of the establishment Democrats. So it's interesting to see this play out in real time, how the two are sort of interacting with each other. And um, you've got four members of Congress. We talk about the members of Congress, but it's even more interesting perhaps that according to the materials there uh, that they put out in their 2023 uh, convention, some are like 200 elected officials, state, local, federal, that are members of the DSA. So so they have influence in, in, in elected office nationwide. And I think we've seen as radical as they are, you know, from their political platform, the thing that's brought them the most pushback, even from the Democrats, has been 
has been the Israel issue, particularly within just the last few weeks in October 2023. That's where you've seen the, you know, despite the radicalism that they have in other aspects of their of their platform, that's where the pushback has really been. Can you go into a little bit more detail about their position on the Israel-Palestine issue? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, again, we keep coming back to this, but they weren't always like this. Like, Harrington was 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 pro-Israel, and the DSA was considered pro-Israel, too, for, for a long time. Also, also worth yeah. noting that back when Harrington would have been, had his formation as a political figure, Israel was a lot more socialist than it is today. And that, that is part of the, if you're looking at the left sort of history with the, with the state of Israel, Israel makes a noticeable right turn in the seventies, uh, as its economy is collapsing. Uh, and didn't they also outright reject communism? I mean, they were sort of socialists in their kibbutz and the, you know, communal living, but I think they outright rejected communism as a, I mean, ultimately the communist bloc sides with the sides with the Arab states. So that kind of forced the hand. But yeah, so you see the shift, um, that, that 2017, 2018 era was, was a real watershed for the DSA because they officially adopted the boycott divestment and sanctions movement in 2017. So this was a product of the new membership that had been joining and they have, you know, I've read a lot of the DSA's material. I've gone through their political platform in detail. I've gone through all their statements in detail. You know, there is a unique and vitriolic hatred of Israel. It's 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 a core part. It's become a core part of their platform in, in a remarkable way that um, there's, so, there's something really going on there that it has become that, um, uh, that much of a focus for the organization, the anti-Israel activism. And, and the, the language that's used is, is really aggressive. It's it's um, you know calling it a racist apartheid state and and saying that it's genocidal and saying that it's you know after Jewish supremacy and and um, committing crimes against humanity. I mean it's it's the strongest language you can use, um, and even for a group like the DSA, it it stands out. Is that do you think that's because and, and, they've they've embraced communism, you know, rhetorically if not in practice? so much and they look at you know sort of this palestinian just like communists do the bourgeois and the proletariat they sort of are separating israel from the palestinians um as the bourgeoisie and the proletariat right i mean you also you also have the that's just a question uh, i don't know that's just a question yeah i i'll i'll frame the question slightly differently uh arnold kling uh the libertarian economist talks about the the three ways of ways of politics and the one for the for a progressive is the the axis is oppressor and oppressed and the the dsa has taken you know in classical marxism the oppressor is the bourgeoisie the oppressed is the proletariat in the capital p progressive view of the israel-palestinian conflict the oppressor is the Israelis and the oppressed is the Palestinians. Is that kind of how they're operating? I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's probably a fair way to characterize it. It's interesting to me though, like of, you know, of all the places in the world where you could sort of um, put that dynamic together if you wanted to the oppressed oppressed. It's, it's interesting to me why the focus is on Israel. 
And why do um, you think it is? <laughs> I'm curious about that too. I, you know, the, I, I don't know, but I will tell you, I think one part of it is, um, Israel's close relations with the United States. I think, um, the DSA I've written before that the DSA is conspicuous as a conspicuous part of what I've called the anti-American left, you know, the sort of the, the, the subset of leftist activism that only sees evil in the United States, you know, cannot, cannot countenance a situation where the United States is not ultimately to blame for some, some negative event in the world. And so that extends to, you know, the, the, um, Friends of my enemies are also my enemies. And so you look at Israel and say, okay, they're very close relations with the United States. We must hate them too, kind of thing. I think this I think the same things at play with NATO. I think the same things at play with a lot of with with Ukraine. I, th- I, I so I think that's probably part of it. Um but you know, but there's such a unique, I mean, I don't know. They they have been accused of anti semitism. I was getting ready to and use the word. I'm glad that you said it. <laughs> Maybe I, it's the simplest. I, and you know, I don't know. You don't want to. You know, it's it's a group. It's a group of individuals, and anti semitism is some is something right. an individual yeah. has to hold in their own mind, and and it's you. But but you look at it and you say, if it's not that, then what is it? And it's really hard to look at the vitriol of the wording the the singular aggression with which they treat it and let's not forget the response to the terrorist attacks at the beginning of october you pulled all that to put all that together i mean where does that leave you right is is the way i look at it and i think and and the, and you know you mentioned they have four members of congress they used to have five but one of them shri thanadar of michigan resigned from the organization over this issue he did and, you know, to, to his, his great credit, Representative Richie Torres has been very outspoken on this issue from New York and calling the DSA out for what, for what many now feel that it is. He's and, taken a lot of heat, too, uh, from the Democrats, some, from the squad and the people who um, are affiliated with the DSA, or at least ideologically affiliated. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a – I mean – the, the response was, I mean, you, you had a situation and let's not forget what this comes down to, you know, through all the spinning and everything you had literally, you know, terrorists literally still operating in Israeli territory, murdering civilians. And at, while that is ongoing, you have the DSA putting out statements like long live the resistance and solidarity. And, you know, it's, um, you can't look at that any other way. I don't think there's no way to get around that and not say, okay, there's some kind of unique hatred right. going on here. So before before we let you go, is there anything else uh, about the DSA that we have we haven't covered that you'd like to make sure our listeners know? Um, you know, I I would direct everybody who's interested in this to to go read the magazine article that's up on our website. But I thought it was kind of interesting to to think about you know there's an old saying about the Holy Roman Holy Roman Empire, right? That um, you know that that pre-Germanic conglomeration of whatever it was. States yeah. Little, little, little tiny States that was, formats. I believe neither Holy nor Roman nor an empire. <laughs> right. That's the classic statement that gets said about it. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, the democratic socialists of America may have become something like that, right? It's not quite democratic in the sense that it's, you know, has this affinity for authoritarian regimes, you know, Cuba and Venezuela. It's willing to equivocate on, on uh, terrorism, you know, it's not quite socialist in the sense that it has a you know very strong revolutionary Marxist communist current running through it. 
Um, it focuses on issues like defunding the police, which we didn't talk about, but they're aggressive on that, you know, stuff that's outside of the traditional like socialist economic stuff. And it's not quite American because they hate the United States. So I, I kind of wonder if the organization as it was founded and, um, and intended by people like Michael Harrington has moved, has kind of moved beyond that framework. Just like SDS back in the day. Just like SDS. Yeah. It's, there's a, there's a lot of parallels here and it's going to be really interesting how we look back on 2023 when we look at the DSA in 2025 and how we view this. And if we learned our lesson this time, that's what, that's what I, that's why I started with that, that we have tended to kind of shrug this stuff off. And I'm wondering, especially based on your research, the growth that this group has, you know, the growth that they've um, developed um, and the hard left turn, if it's finally time for us to go, uh, this might be a very radical wing of our political, you know, life and maybe don't mock it and understand that it holds some power. Yeah, I think the... um the anti-Israel aspect of the DSA has really brought the organization to, to the radicalism of the organization uh, front and center for people. But it's important to remember that that's not the only radical aspect of this organization at all. All right. Robert, is there anything else uh, you'd like to promote before we let you go? Uh, I don't think so. I appreciate you having me on and hope everybody enjoyed enjoyed listening. All right. Well, thanks again to my colleague, Robert Stilson, for joining us. We will include a link to his four-part series, The Left of the Left, The Democratic Socialists of America, in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. (music) 